we're not going to put genies back in bottles. If you're agile, you can try and make the best of it. You can try and change things around. So having that ability, having that little bit of agility in your character, I think, is also a useful thing. Urban Jungle brings stories from people around the globe that design and build a better world. I am Magda Flores and this is Urban Jungle. Welcome. Did you know that where we live and how we interact affects our well-being? Yet, when we talk about well-being, we tend to talk about me. Well-being is about we, the community and the environment we live in. It is time to shift the paradigm from me to we. Check out the Urban Wellbeing Training courses developed in partnership with the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org. This is an interview with Gail Rowland. Gail is a financial markets trainer and consultant with 30 years experience in trading and sales of major banks in London and New York. Today, we are talking about Trading Desk. Hello, Gail. Hi, Magda. Good to have you here. In order to break the ice, would you like to share a place you'd like to visit near where you live? Um, I'm quite lucky to live in Surrey, which actually is a very beautiful county where it's near the Surrey Hills. So not far from us, there's a hill called Leith Hill. It's a nice walk to get up it. It's not too gentle, but also not too tough, with a nice cafe at the top. The other thing is when you've hit the top, when you're standing up there, you can see London. So it's in the distance, but you can pick out the various landmarks. And I love that because I am a Londoner. So even though I live in Surrey, I'm a Londoner. So it makes that connection between where I am now and where I came from. Oh, fantastic. So what are the buildings that you can actually see on a clear day? You can see Canary Wharf, some of those bank skyscrapers. My husband reckons you can see Wembley. Oh, well. Sure, but hey-ho. I know what to look for. I know how to look for the arch. So I guess you can probably see that. Uh, you can just see so many things. It's great. It's a really nice view from up on the top of Leith Hill. Everyone should go there Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and since you have mentioned being able to see the banks from really, really far away, would you tell me a little bit about your journey? Because I find it amazing. <laughs> well, it's been a long journey because I came into the financial markets back in the 1980s, which often sounds like it was a different world then. And I was at university studying French, so didn't do anything to do with the world I ended up in. Got my first job working on a trading desk straight from college, straight from university. And it was a, a small trading desk in London, a Japanese not bank. It was a securities company. So that's kind of like what we would call a stockbroker. Mainly it did equities, but I worked on the bond desk. So I sort of came into this world trading, which I knew nothing about. The product I barely heard of, had no idea how they worked, and suddenly had to learn on the spot, learn on the job how to do this. It was an unusual job being working on the trading desk. My first job was called a proprietary trader, which meant all I had to do was buy and sell things and make money. Simple as that. <laughs> 
what what things did you buy and did you sell and make money? I mean, that's quite complex, right? Yeah, these things were these financial products, bonds, and what bonds are are basically debt. We're buying and selling debt. So a company like Shell would want to raise money, so they borrow money in the market. And the product I sell is that debt. The product I was buying and selling is that debt. And we do this to make it easier for big companies like Shell to raise large amounts of money, because that's what my world is all about. We've always worked on the investment banking side of the fence. And the investment banking side of banking is really about raising large sums of funds, large amounts of funds, large sums of money. But we do that by fragmenting, by creating these products that we can split up and sell to lots of different people, therefore get lots of different sources of funds. So that's how this whole process works. But does that mean that when I buy a bond, I will always get my money back? I'm sitting here crossing my fingers <laughs> because in theory, yes, in theory it does. What you're doing is lending your money to someone who has promised to pay it back. But of course, you, sometimes things will go wrong and actually very, very occasionally the bonds won't repay. But it really is very, very, very occasionally. Statistically speaking, we're talking about the way below 1% probability of defaulting. So it is a safe, safe product course you during its lifetime it has its ups and its downs so this is really the ious isn't it because i love the concept of uh, the coupons yep the coupon is just what we call the interest payment so normally if i were to lend you 10 pounds let's say um which I'm, i might do if you're willing to pay me a high enough interest rate <laughs> so in the world of the bond we call that um, interest rate the coupon because it attaches to the the iou that we have back in the olden days we used to physically have pieces of paper that we were buying and selling it's 21st century so everything is electronic now it's digital but when we had physical pieces of paper we would literally have little coupons on the bottom oh. which would have to be torn off and handed over to the entity that borrowed the money and when we gave them that coupon they'd give us the interest rate so that's where the word coupon came from that's why we call it coupons so a proper coupon. And did you ever work in commodities? No, no, I've only ever worked in these financial products in, in the bond market, and then eventually moving on into the derivatives of the bond market, which is just a piggyback marketplace. So they're products that exist on the back of the underlying ones. Now, you are one of the few women to have worked in both the London Trading Desk and the New York trading desk what was that like yeah I got lucky so I really was lucky um when I was first asked by my boss in London to go out to New York it was a bit of a surprise shall we say this all you kind of almost came out of nowhere I think I'd said one day I think I could do that job better and he turned around and said did you mean it oh, whoops <laughs> well he sent me out to represent him to represent us what we did in London in New York and I was so lucky because I was in my uh, late 20s then and I was going as an expat, which makes life a little bit easier. I was also exposed to a very large trading desk. So it was different. New York was different from London. It was great. It was a great thing to do. We can't have that much, much, much movement between the two desks because you know, there are plenty of people in London who want to work on a trading desk and there are plenty of people in New York who want to do it. 
So there really has to be a reason why you would send someone from London out to New York or vice versa. So that's why I just happened to be in the right place at the right time when an opportunity came along. Particularly for me, it was a great opportunity because I went to university in London. I uh, didn't leave home at all until I bought my first flat at about 25. So it was quite a big jump to then go from living in the city I'd always lived in to go to another city. Probably a brief, a brief period of time I lived in Paris, but that was only less than a year. But to, to actually make that big jump across the Atlantic was a good growing up experience as well for me. So I was so lucky, so lucky to have that. Well, you had the right skills too, and uh, and you put yourself forward. So so there were loads of things happening there. You're saying we make our own luck then, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, totally, totally. So what was New York like coming from London? New York's a great city. I happened to get there probably at a really good time in history because it was after Mayor Giuliani who decided to do his great cleanup, shall we say. And the very noticeable thing was how safe Midtown Manhattan was, where I lived. It was somewhere where you could just wander around any time of the day or night. I never felt scared because you knew where not to go. It's a little bit like London. The same thing there. You could wander around most places in London feeling fine as long as you stayed away from a few certain pockets. So that was a, another good thing for me as a single person, a single girl on my own um, over there in New York. It was exciting working in probably bigger heart of my industry. Obviously, London is a major financial centre, so it is a heart of the, the industry. It's just everything's bigger in New York. There were more banks. There were more people who did my job. There was more of a community of we traders and salespeople. So it was lovely to be there and also discover new markets as well. So it wasn't necessarily that I did them. What do you mean by new markets? Within financial markets, there are lots and lots of different products. And you tend, as a dealer, someone who works on a trading desk, you tend to specialise in one, maybe two of those products. You don't get to know that much about what anybody else is doing. Well, I was, again, very lucky with the job I had. Because of the time difference between Europe and New York, I'd often not have a lot to do in the afternoon. And so I would just take advantage and go wander around the room, literally sit next to someone and say, well, what is it you're doing? And finding out about their products and stuff. So I, I took advantage of an opportunity that was there. I think that is something very important to be able to know what other people are doing. I mean, often I would go around offices and occasionally I would actually introduce people to each other who had been sitting next to each other and hadn't even met and didn't know what anybody was doing. So how can one grow as an individual in an organization or develop new contacts or develop new ideas if those are not shared? Mm. Absolutely right. Yes. I do a lot of training with um, newcomers coming into the marketplace, the, the graduate schemes, for example. And one of the things I always say to the kids is don't be annoying, but make sure you pick the brains of everybody you're working with. You've got to get the balance. Obviously, you mustn't disturb someone when they're engrossed in doing their own tasks. Everybody has downtime. So everybody has a, an opportunity when you can See, well, what exactly is it that you're doing? Well, it means so much more than if you know what someone else is doing and how that impacts on what you're doing and everything comes together nicely. So it's well worth going out there and being, being nosy. People's brains. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And what did you do after that? 
well, after that, I fell into consultancy because I was you know, working on trading desks in London and New York for quite some years. And then met my future husband, who lived in a different part of the country. So I lived in London. He lived in Shropshire. And we decided we were going to get married, which meant that one or other of us had to move. And we decided to put both properties on the marketplace. And my little flat in London sold much more quickly than his antique shop in Shropshire. So therefore, I said, well, I'll give up working and I'll just come and help you run the shop. But things didn't quite pan out that way. Because when I moved to Shropshire, I started getting phone calls from people saying, could you come and do this for us? Could you come and explain that to these people? And I realized that there was a another world out there that was related to my world. So a world where I could keep on being involved, but not have to get up at 5.30 in the morning, which is what you have to do if you work on a trading desk. So I was able to work more normal kind of hours and also broaden my knowledge go out there and use all those little bits of information I picked and picked up when I was picking people's brains, find out more about it and be able to impart things to other people. So that's why I love the training part of what I do, but I also like doing the other things, the writing and the research and that kind of stuff, anything people ask me to do, really. So what sort of skills would consultancy require? Really good question, Magda, because it's a question I had to ask myself. Because when this happened to me by accident, really, I hadn't thought about doing it. I honestly thought I just helped my husband run the antique shop. He's an antique furniture restorer. So I kind of thought I could do the shop bit. He could do the fixing. <laughs> so that's how I saw our, our world moving forward. But then when I realized that wasn't going to be how things would turn out, because I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to talk about something I love talking about, I realized I knew about my markets. So I actually I knew the technicalities of the products. I knew how to do the maths and stuff. What I didn't know was how to be a consultant. And so I did try and plug that gap by heading off to university and taking a master's. So my master's was in personnel management and business administration to try and give me a, a, some kind of a format around how to, how to understand how people learn, how to understand about how putting things together. And I think that... Probably the biggest skill that you have to have is the skill of listening to find out what it is that people actually want. Because it's very easy for someone to say, oh, we'd like to know about bonds. And we say, yeah, I know about bonds. I'm going to tell you this, this and this and this. And what I'm telling you can be completely useless. It's much better if I say to you, why do you want to know about bonds? And then I'll discover it's because they're working in tech. It's because they're working in operations. And if you're working in operations, for example, you don't need to know how to work out the yield on a bond. It would be really helpful if you knew what happened to that bond when it was being transferred from one owner to another. So listening to what people actually need and then tailoring your, your solutions to them. I think that's probably the biggest skill. Wow. Wow. It's often that we hire consultants and as you say, we get a different product. We get something slightly different from what we wanted and we are not actually covering the gap. It's also about being um, in direct contact with the consultant because that's always the downside when there's a, a third party involved. So maybe a company has a person who talks to the client and then a different person who will do the delivery. And that's where you can have a disconnect. So I'm quite lucky that I mainly work directly with my clients. So I do actually get to talk to them. 
I think that's the important thing to think about when you're hiring a consultant. Try and get to the person who's going to do the work for you and then you will, you will get a better solution. And all these is absolutely fantastic for the people that you are training because then you are coming in from various different angles in your training courses. Yeah. You also have to be a bit agile as well. I, mean, I had something recently where someone hadn't told me, <laughs> in fact, they told me completely incorrectly who the group was going to be. And when I saw you sat down with them and discovered this, I thought, well, what we're doing here is absolutely wrong for you, completely and utterly wrong. But I couldn't throw the whole bathtub out of the window, but at least I could change the water. At least I could change the contents a little bit. And so you go through what it was had been planned to be done with them to a certain extent, and then almost like close the book for a second and go off on a tangent and tell them something that I knew would be more useful for them to know, even though I had to keep on coming backwards and forwards. So it was a massive example of a miscommunication. I'm not quite sure where it went wrong, but somewhere in the chain, things went badly wrong with this one. If you're agile, you can try and make the best of it. You can try and change things around. So having that ability, having that little, little bit of agility in your character, I think, is also a useful thing. If uh, people are thinking about developing their career in trading, what would be the things that you would share with them to make their path a little bit uh, less uncertain, let's say? Right, that's a very, very good question, because you may not like the answer. I'm not sure people should be thinking about doing a career in trading. Not in 2023, because the whole topic at the moment that's absolutely everywhere about artificial intelligence Artificial intelligence is a very big story in the land of finance. And I am actually on the side of thinking we should have more artificial intelligence on trading desks. I do feel that the, the sooner we can get to a fully automated trading desk, the better, because it's human beings that all the problems for us, shall we say. Even you, that's just a personal opinion. I'm sure there's lots of people who disagree with it and who want human beings to keep doing this. We're not going to put genies back in bottles. We have very intelligent quants who are sitting there working out the maths to create the algos which will do what traders are doing. It's already started. We do have markets where values are generated by AI, and that is something that is going to continue. The old-fashioned job that I had, someone who sits there and buys and sells, buys and sells, and comes up with numbers, it's not really the same job anymore. So I think that there are other other things that someone thinking about coming into this industry should be looking at. Although the industry itself isn't going to go away, it's just the job. The job will change. The job will differ. Maybe be a quant. Maybe be the person who comes up with the algo. Maybe work in tech, work on actually implementing the algo, verifying the data, data engineers, that kind of stuff. Um, certainly supporting the support functions making sure that uh, we enable the contracts to go through to fulfillment. That's the world of operations. It's a big area because there's quite a lot of automation in that area anyway. And so the human beings are doing the interesting bits because they're figuring out how to improve the processes and sorting out when things go wrong. It used to be an intensely boring job that world to work in because there was a lot of manual process. These days, we get rid of as much of the manual process as we can do. So the human beings' brains are being used. So there's loads and loads of other jobs which are more interesting than sales and trading job. 
because the sales and trading job, I can't really see a long career path for anyone going into the industry now. So it's it's you down to down to the individual. If you want to do it for a couple of years, you're certainly around for a couple of years. Well, hey, I say that though. I don't know. I haven't got a crystal ball. I don't know how quickly the world's going to turn now. It seems to be turning very quickly at the moment, doesn't it? Whenever you put the news on, they're talking about AI and the impact of AI. So things could actually really accelerate on this one. And it also means that if we are going to be using our brains in a different level, we are actually making things much more exciting. Yeah. And honestly speaking, Magda, come back to the 80s, come back to the 90s, when on the trading desk was seen as the glamour jobs, it's what you, as people found out about it, it's what everybody wanted to do because we were young, we had good money, we drove flat. I had a company car before I could drive. It was so stupid. They just gave them to us. And it was it's a nice sporty car. So just used to sit outside my flat because I couldn't drive it. <laughs> but yeah, that's that was the image. That's what the world was appeared to be like. In reality, on that desk, we would do exciting things. We were doing big deals and there was quite a buzz. And we were all young and we were all quite loud. And you know, it was a strange atmosphere in the room. There was also a lot of tedium. Times that we were practically pulling our hair out because we were so bored. And that's actually quite dangerous because that was when we would sometimes do stupid, stupid things because you, we had the time to think of something stupid to do. And so we do it. It was never quite what people thought it was. So people always thought it was nonstop hectic action. And in fact, it was a very repetitive job. All jobs are repetitive. So it's no different from any other any other job in that respect. Yes, that is very enlightening <laughs> because often we don't hear the downside of certain sectors or of certain jobs. And definitely not all the time are we truly understanding the trend. Yeah. So it's very kind of you to share where you see the trend going. Well. <laughs> and in terms of raising funds for our small businesses or for entrepreneurs? It's very clear that these days there are lots of sources of funds out there. Again, keep coming back to the 80s, the 90s, banks were dominant. So if you wanted to raise money, you'd basically go to a bank. If you were a small company, you'd go to the commercial side of a bank and you'd be borrowing from your lending officers, etc. As your company got bigger and you were getting Having more need of what we would call wholesale money, large amounts of money. So I'm talking about tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, large amounts. Then you come into my investment banking world and we'd raise that money for you. Nowadays, 21st century, it's not only banks. We've got all the challengers out there. We've got challenger banks as well, small banks coming into the marketplace, mainly digital. They're coming into a pretty crowded space but they are bringing fresh funds into it we've also got lots of other sources of money i'm thinking about things like all the venture capital funds which are out there and those venture capital funds they're looking to smaller businesses they're looking to startups it's aggressive so you will take money from a venture capital fund with uh, you know, your eyes wide open please on this one because you know that they will have done their sums very carefully they know exactly what they want to happen they are a source of funds from maybe £50,000 to £50 million. So sometimes they can raise way more than £50 million, and sometimes they will give you way less than 50000 
So they are incredibly flexible. And you, there's also in the middle ground, there are plenty of providers of funds, non-bank providers of funds, who aren't venture capitalists. So they don't have the same business model, but they are just another source of money. So I think that's a, an interesting change that we've seen in the last couple of decades. As a small to medium-sized business, it's good to shop around. It's good to go out there and consider these things, consider the alternatives. One thing I've always noticed working on the investment banking side of the fence, investment banking is all about putting people with money together with people who are looking for money. So it's basically still banking, moving money from those that have to those that want. The way we do it is by using those products, like those bonds we were talking about before, or or selling shares in a company. So selling products that we can fragment and sell to lots and lots of different people, as I said earlier. The whole thing about doing that kind of a model was that even we in investment banking would often look at, a, at something going on on the marketplace, on the street, as we call it, and think that, let's say a borrower, that borrower should have come to us instead of going to borrow money from a bank. But they've gone to the bank because it's what they've always done. And I know as someone who's actually worked in the business saying to corporations, you should be doing this, you should be issuing a bond, you should be selling shares. And they turn around, they say, oh, no, Gail, we're happy enough borrowing from ABC Bank from whom we've always borrowed our money. And it, it's crazy. So if I can sort of encourage smaller companies from the very beginning to start thinking differently, absolutely build up a great relationship with your bank, it's something you absolutely 100% need. But also when it comes to raising money for your development to move yourself forward, have a look at alternative sources. And then you can benchmark them against the bank. The bank's cheaper, give it thank. But if you can get cheaper sources of, of money elsewhere, then take that. Have a mixture. Spread your risk. Don't have all your eggs in one basket. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that. So what is next for Gail Roland? BAU, business as usual, just carry on. Obviously, keep on watching what happens in my world uh, and make sure that I respond to any and all changes that come along. The lovely thing about being a consultant, you can actually watch what's happening and yet you're not being caught by it. It's not as though I've put myself into a box where suddenly my box can disappear because the market's changed. So as long as I keep an eye on what's going on out there, Hopefully, I'll carry on swimming with the tide, so staying you in the business. And if we would like to contact you, how can we do that? I guess the best way would be contact me by email. So that's gail at royalconsul.co.uk. This is Urban Jungle with your host, Magda Flores. Thanks for joining. And if there is a topic or people you would like to hear from, all you have to do is drop me a line. My email address is urbanwsolutions at gmail.com. Urban environments need your help. Be part of the solution. Check out our training courses on urban well-being. Developed in partnership with SIWEN, the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org.